Welcome to the In Vino Fab podcast. I'm Patrice. And I'm Laura. In Vino Fabulum means in wine story. There are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life in their communities paired with wine, of course. The In Vino Fab pod is a place to learn in space, share stories about our work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts, of course. Today we welcome Dr. Whitney Kilgore, co-founder and chief academic officer of iDesign, who partners with universities that want to build, grow, and support online and blended learning courses and program offerings. Her research interests are focused on learner experience design. She's an editor of the International Journal of Innovations in Online Education and recently edited and published the book, Humanizing Online Teaching and Learning. This is an open educational resource, OER, book that you can use right now. Her next edited book, entitled Connecting the Dots, Improving Student Outcomes with Exceptional Instructional Design is scheduled to be available as an open educational resource at the end of 2019. And for full disclosure, I now do contract work as a researcher for iDesign. And this happened after we recorded this conversation, but I thought it'd be fully transparent with our listeners. So we're really excited to have Dr. Kilgore join us for this episode of InVino Fab. Whitney, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Laura. It's pretty exciting to be here. Uh, Wendy and I know each other a little bit, you know, we kind of around the same parts, as they say, uh, both in physical state of Texas, mental state of mind, and uh, also learning. So um, Whitney was a graduate from the same department where I went and did my PhD, but she's gone off to do some really cool things in the world of learning, design, research, like you're doing a bit of everything. So when you said you'd love to come on the podcast. I'm like, what are we going to talk about? I can't wait. <laughs> Thanks. You know, I remember um, seeking you out at an OLC conference in Florida when we live so close to each other here in Texas, so I could have a chat with you about a paper you had written. So um, any opportunity to chat with you is a highlight of my day. Oh, come on now. No, I think it's great. Like Texas is sprawling though. I will say we'd live close, but sometimes it's hard to get across the Metroplex, they call it here in DFW. Um, well, I, I thought it'd be interesting to have a conversation with you because you are working on and reading and doing a few things and you're a leader in an interesting organization that um, most of your organization is distributed and you work remotely and online and you connect all the dots um, as one of the co-founders. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, I introduced your role a little bit in your bio at the beginning, but um, what are some things that people don't know that you do in your world of work and how you lead them? Oh, um, so it's a very big question you ask. Um, So we are a distributed workforce. We're about 160 learning designers spread all over the U.S. And we have a handful of U.S. citizens that are part of that team that actually live internationally now. We had um, a young lady who was actually from Texas <laughs> in our Louisville area who recently got married and moved to uh, Norway with her husband. So we've got, um, we've got a handful of folks that are internationally based. And um, we use Zoom and Slack and email and telephones and you know text messaging as our primary way to stay connected with one another. And that works well for us. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the way we work, the type of work that we do, but it seems to be the right tools for our community of practice that we're trying to maintain here at iDesign. 
Well, I think the conversation around um, how we work and how work is changing is shifting in certain um, industries, organizations, but I always seem to see our campuses. um, So coming from a university, a college, uh, at least in the U.S., that's not fully online, but partially online, working from a distance or remotely, it seems weird to most people that are used to a walk on a physical brick and mortar school. Um, But our learners are online, so why wouldn't some of our workforce also be distributed? I don't know what your thoughts or what your experiences have been in thinking of that since you do connect to so, You know, I've got kind of two ideas to share related to that. Um, uh, and um, specifically, one of those is in the world of work. I've held a job where some of my team was distributed, but the bulk of the team went to the office day in and day out. And it created such a, I don't know, distance between the two groups that it was like an insurmountable challenge. It was our Mount Everest, if you will. And from a leadership perspective, I loved it. I embraced it and found that more work got done by individuals when they had that flexibility. But above me, layers above me, it was perceived as if there wasn't a butt in a seat, there wasn't work being done. And so it's very hard as a leader in an organization of a team that is mixed from distributed and and location-based to really manage those expectations above at times. So that was a interesting challenge I actually faced myself. Then I fast forward to some of the conversations that at iDesign we're having with some of our, our future partners and current partners about the way these degree programs come together to serve students really well. And the conversation is starting to shift. I mean, I I think back, gosh, 10, 15 years ago when I first started building online programs for universities, it was, it was very uncommon for faculty to truly embrace the idea of online. Um, Leadership was concerned, hesitant. Um, There were a a lot of risks involved, or at least there was perception of risk. And now the conversation is shifting to the world of work has changed. They see that the workplace is now more and more distributed. They understand the need for distributed learning. And that is helping to advance the conversation about blended and online delivery for degrees. It's funny that you use the term uh, bums and or butts and seats because that's like my first time taking an e-learning course was Oh God! Uh, early aughts, let's say, and my uh, one of my course instructors for this continuing ed certificate. Her, to her, that was her company's name. It's called Bumps and Seats because people thought you could only measure productivity, learning, performance if you actually saw them physically, and someone was placed in a chair. And we know that's not the case, and we're never going to get like forget the high quality student, the high quality instructor, uh, the one that's a researcher, a learner, designer, trainer online teaching if you have to go to whatever is just locally by them because people want to live and live lives in different places. And you have, it sounds like staff and uh, employer employment everywhere in the world, which is kind of a treat, I guess. That's like the benefit of working in a flexible well, and place. It benefits us tremendously because we can hire the best and the brightest and we're not, you know, um, place-based. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to relocate people, right? We don't have to uproot lives in order to get um, really fantastic talent to join our team. And I think everybody really appreciates that at the end of the day. So that works out really exceedingly well for us. Um, because if all we could do was hire locally, we'd be restricted in the talent pool that we have. Um, you know, we're already at 160 learning designers. I, 
I can't imagine trying to fill uh, butts in seats. I yeah. love that phrase because honestly, you're end, you're measuring the wrong end of the human, right? Like exactly, exactly. And I think that the the concept it was it was kind of a spoof of her that's her company business. I laughed because I was like, that's not really how people have to learn and do learn. And my my thought for your workers, like it sounds like they can work wherever, which is nice benefit. Like this is an added benefit. Quality of life matters, like live to work versus uh, work to live, uh, whatever your mantra is. If you, uh, don't, if you don't live to work, then you can work from wherever. But how do you get them to stay engaged and interested? Because you're not just going to bump into them somewhere down the hall, uh, at the, getting lunch, getting a coffee somewhere. Um, so how do you maintain that kind of social aspect of a workplace if most of your uh, staff is online these days? Yeah, we actually work really hard to try to make sure that we're creating a community feel. And we use Slack primarily for that purpose. So Slack helps us with communication around projects and you know client-related escalations and things we all need to manage for, a, for our day-to-day work. But um, in fact, Slack is not slacking off. It's a platform, if you aren't aware, that (laughs) have multiple messages. Like I think of Slack and people are like, oh, you guys just put up a hammock. That's great. Uh, great. How do you guys use um, Slack, the the technology platform? I'm so glad you clarified. Um, So in Slack, Slack, off it. I design. She doesn't mean that at all. the, The technology platform Slack allows you to create channels of communication. So um, we have channels for projects that allow us to stay connected about um, issues that might arise so that we can get feedback instantane- instantaneously from each other. Um, but we also use Slack to build community. So uh, one of the um, uh, more recent events that we've started to put together is a step challenge. Uh, so we're, we're encouraging folks to uh, get get stepping, get out and walk and, and exercise and record those steps over time. And we'll, we'll have four different categories of winners. And um, it should be a lot of fun. We actually have, you know, the increase from your baseline. So folks will figure out what their baseline is um, currently. And then if they've, you know, increased in steps consistently over a four-week period, that'll be one of the prizes. Um, then, you know, total number, you know, steps will be one of the winners. Um, and then I remember um, one of the members of the team said, well, what if I can't win those challenges? Maybe we could also have the most outrageous selfie while walking challenge. So if somebody's maybe not as physically able to participate, they could at least participate in the fun selfie challenge. And those will be voted on internally. So we're trying to make sure we're creating a, com- a community that's um, engaged, but it's, it's accessible to everyone. So we have other channels too, like we have a book club channel and an instant, instant pot channel so we can share recipes. And um, we have a pets channel so people share pictures of their pets. Um, but it just allows us to connect around other things besides work. So it's that virtual water cooler effect. I like that. Um, I'm a big, a big fan of the digital water coolers myself. And I also like that you're doing butts out of seat challenge with that step challenge. That's good. <laughs> So we'll bring it around to butts again. I will. I think the other interesting aspect is you're taking away um, or you're shifting where the communication is going to go in general because you do work on there. Uh, but there's also pockets where people can dip in, be social, have a quick chat, um, and know that they can reach someone in multiple modes, like you said, whether they have to hop on a, a Zoom call or a quick instant message chat, a video chat, um, things like that. I think that's really good. Now, what are some of the things you've learned from... I guess, getting social and getting the, um, 
getting people involved in different ways on Slack or even other spaces to kind of virtually team better? What are some challenges or some things you've thought of as the leader of this group of building that community vibe online? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, um, within Slack itself, each channel needs to have, especially when it's a more smaller community based. So like our senior learning architects all come together and they talk about certain topics. Somebody has to be the leader. It's just like my uh, Twitter chat research, right? So somebody has to own the channel in order for something to happen. Now in the fun one-off channels like pets and Instapot recipes, that's not as necessary, but for the step challenge and things that we might do across the organization, those have to be owned as well. Um, but as a leader of leaders, I guess one of, the, one of my go-tos has been um, strengths-based leadership. And I was sharing with you before we, we started recording that um, my senior leaders on the team, we all did the strengths finders, um, and we, we take a look at where our gaps are uh, in, independently, individually, and then how we fill each other's gaps, how we communicate together as a team. We better understand who's coming from what perspective or lens. Um, some of us are very future focused. I'm sure you're probably not shocked that that's me. Um, and others in the team are very grounded and rooted in the present. Um, and so we're able to use those strengths and come together and brainstorm and challenge each other in order to kind of push past obstacles when they arise. And then this book, in case anybody wants to find it, it's called Strengths-Based Leadership. And it's um, written by uh, Tom Rath at Gallup, um, but it's based on Don Clifton's Strength Finders. Um, but what I really like is at the back of the book, it gives you some tips about both your strengths and your weaknesses and how you can focus on um, delivering messages to your team to build trust, show compassion, provide stability, and create hope. And those are the core ingredients that each individual needs to feel connected to an organization. So, we did this um, Strength Finders probably early last year, and one of our partner university faculty facilitates these conversations with folks. And so she came and joined us and talked to us about it. And um, one of her one of her activities she had us do was write your name five times with your right hand, and then write your name five times with your left hand. And why don't you write with your hand that's not your dominant hand all the time? It's because you played your strengths, right? So, so we talked a lot about how as a team we can lean on each other for support and kind of gap fill, if you will. So we try in the hiring process now, we try not to hire someone that's exactly like us. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> we want uniqueness and we want differences. So um, that's, all right. that's really kind of where we're going, coming you from. said a lot there, and I'm going to unpack and ask you a few questions. So strengths. Um, Clifton Strengths uh, Finder, and it's like an assessment. Um, I did this back with uh, student leaders on campus. It's very popular. In higher education, Use if you work in st with student leaders in any capacity or you want to do something and look at the leadership in your team, this is something you could do, and I've seen loads. Um, so typically of the 34 themes you could have, you come up with, they give you, is it six, eight? Six? It's the top five. Top five, okay. Yep. So I loosely remember mine. You you have futuristic. I think that's mine as well. So that makes sense. What else? What else did you have on yours? Um, my first is strategic, then okay. futuristic, then learner, self assurance, and maximizer. 
Oh, interesting. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go take a look at each of the themes. And even if you don't, uh, I, I say you can use it as a horoscope and self-prescribe what you think you are. Um, so <laughs> if you don't want to pay for it, if you don't have the funds. But um, that's really interesting. I could see all of those. I definitely, I have futuristic. I was trying to think of what mine, I haven't done this for like six years, uh, six or seven years. So you're saying you have homework. I have homework. <laughs> I... I, well, I do know that like analytical is one of mine. I know that I'm an activator as well. And futuristic is definitely one. So I'm just scrolling through and see which of the other ones. Futuristic, um, ideation, and uh, I can't remember if it was input or what. Uh, I'm going to go do some research and find it. So if I remember mine, I'll go find it. But it's a neat way to kind of see how people lead right? Because we all have these attributes. Some of them just stand out more than others, right? So it's not like that's all you are. You're not. Right. Right. And I have found that um, the, the person on my team that has, I'll say the exact opposite strengths is the person I need to talk to about big decisions because we balance each other out. So it's a really fantastic tool just to try to identify who are those people that help balance your decision making process. So in thinking about that and knowing a bit about your team now, are there things that you're like, because you're an organization that um, has, sure, multiple staff in different areas, but in your leadership group, are you thinking about how you structure meetings now or how do you approach an issue or topic or something new you're going to do? Is that come into play now that you're, you've talked a little bit about your strengths? You know, it's interesting. So uh, I'll point you to another little treasure. Um, there is a book that I just stumbled on recently, our website, uh, called Liberating Structures. And I'm not sure if you've seen that one before. No, but, but I like the sound of that. Tell me more. So Liberating st- Structures is either 32 or 33 different ways you can engage a group in communication. Um, and gosh, I wish I could remember how I found it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a story there, but, um, but I really needed it at that moment when I was trying to figure this all out. And what I wanted to create was different engaging ways for us to communicate as a team that could then be models for how we could design interactive communication opportunities for students and, and educators in these digital learning spaces we're creating. So one of the liberating structures is actually called a UX fishbowl. And so when we were building LX Pathways, we invited some of the students from um, Harvard's Graduate School of Ed, where Patrice works, to join us in the beta cohort of LX Pathways. And there were some folks from some other institutions that kind of volunteered themselves or their their bosses voluntold them uh, that they were going to participate. But we had these UX fishbowls where we would bring the, the beta testers together, the beta fish, into the fishbowl. And we would listen to them talk about their experiences inside LX Pathways and try really hard to not say anything and give them time to verbalize their actual experiences and showcase. They could share screen and Zoom and, and show us what they were experiencing, which gave us a, as enough data to feel confident that when we would roll it out into um, what's after beta? Live? It's like yeah. Alpha, beta, delta, Crash. gamma? Crash. No, uh... <laughs> yeah no it's going live you're right so after you beta test then 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 we got that data to be able to iterate on the design and feel more confident that what we were releasing to the general public this summer uh, would be valid well for our listeners uh Whitney also just gleaned over her you know like her little research project on twitter uh looking at chats that was part of her doctoral dissertation work correct yes 
Yeah. So there is something as you discussed and you just brought up now that made me think of like, I don't want to glean over. You have a lot of evidence and research behind what you're studying. And a lot of what you look at are um, a couple of things uh, that I've seen your kind of body of work are pathways. And so how do people get from A to B to Z or zigzag across and cross train and develop, which is cool. Um, And that's like learning experience and how you design, but also the human side of how we teach and learn is another one of your bigger themes in your body of work. And I, um, I read that recent article that you co-authored, I believe it was with a few of the characters like Patrice and uh, Laura Gogia. Laura. Yeah. And it was around that, um, just the concept of how are we thinking about design and learning? I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that, because I'm going to link to the article, the Educause review article, but if you want to share a little bit about how that came about, because I think it's from this experience. Yes. Um, well, uh, so maybe that's from another little pocket of thinking that overlaps. Um, <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, I, I'm so sorry. I have busy thinking in other pockets. Um, <laughs> that stemmed from a conversation with Ellen Wagner about learning engineering and what that meant, which um, led into me being invited to join the Icicle Group, which was talking about um, the future of teaching and learning and whether or not learning engineering is actually a thing. Um, I think Inside Higher Ed quoted me as saying, oh, I feel like my personal identity is tied to the term instructional designer and I'm not sure who I am anymore, right? So I was going through this like meta experience of who am I, right? And then I attended the Learning Engineering Conference um, in Arlington, Virginia this past uh, April, no, May. And um, Patrice and I had done some interviews at Educause last year and ask people, what do you think about this term, learning engineering? Where is it taking us? What does it mean to you? What's your role? And that's really the focus of that Educause paper, is to kind of dissect what other people were thinking about it, just basically to help us think about it, because the field is kind of in transition. A lot of people are turned off by the name learning engineer. Um, Other people are embracing it. between you and me, Laura, I mean, don't tell anybody else. But mm-hmm. I think those that are really embracing it are coming from the computer science side of the world that are listening to folks like um, George Siemens, who's, who has said at an ET4 online conference many moons ago that they need more teachers in ed tech companies, right? So mm-hmm. there's this computer science side of the world that comes out of college to develop educational applications. But if they don't have any of the underpinnings of theory and and um, teaching and learning, then can they really develop something that's focused on the learning sciences? I'm not sure they can, right? So there's some, there's some overlaps on kind of the engineering side of things where it does start to make sense. And we have to decide, are we moving that direction or is learning engineering more of a team sport? Does it happen in larger groups? It may not be an individual human. I like that idea though. And, and so as I look at, um, you see descriptions of roles, whether it's in higher education, uh, K-12, or in the workplace learning and performance, you are seeing similar like kind of things being attached. So what we see as UI UX designer, we see as learning experience LX designer now. We see uh, the terms architect, engineer, like you said, coming to instruction and learning. Um, there. I wonder if we're trying to match what's in industry, but also elevate what 
we do professionally because I think the instructional design spectrum of who was out there professionally is it varies, right? So people have experiences with um, certain key tools, object software to uh, have researched and design and develop, or they write and they publish. And um, I think your group, at least uh, the ones that you work with, are trying to have a combination of that, whether it's training the next set of designers out there to um, learning about the process of teaching and learning to how can we also investigate this as we go um, put before we put it into practice. So I think you're right. We are in a bit of crossroads or questioning, but maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, I actually think you had me at Elevate, right? So, I mean, yeah. if I think about the role of an instructional designer or the way I've seen it play out on campuses, um, it's changing over time, but not enough. Right. So the change, the change from being a faculty member's go-to assistant or support for the LMS, or would you, would you load this PDF into my course for me? Um, the, the role of instructional designer has really shifted from more like a executive assistant to a faculty member to one of an expert in the field of learning sciences and digital teaching and learning to support the the change that needs to occur in how people teach right so it's right. pedagogy undergraduate needs to change we don't just take a class that happens face to face and put it online we shift the way it's delivered and how it's segmented so that it's it's mobile friendly, it's consumable in smaller bite-sized chunks, it's not a three-hour lecture posted online, nobody actually would watch it anyway if you did that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of change that has to occur, and so I often think of this role as more of a, a change agent with some technology and teaching and learning skills. I mean, if you can't do the two-step, using a Texas term for us, right? If you can't help somebody make those decisions by offering them two examples of what could happen, letting them choose one, and then move on to the next couple of choices, if you can't continue to do that and iterate on design with faculty, it's, it's very difficult to move the needle. And um, yeah, I think more and more faculty are embracing the need for these changes in how courses are designed or how teaching and learning occurs in a digital environment because they're reading about it every day. I mean, thank goodness for MOOCs and oh gosh, I wish they hadn't happened. I mean, like, <laughs> I know, I know it's a blessing and a curse as they say. Um, thank you for saying that you just don't as a PSA, well, probably pull, a pull out quote of yours will be, you just don't take your course and slap it online on the web because you're right. There's so much more thought that goes into it and planning design and delivery and, reaching the learner in different ways. I think you're correct. Is I like the idea of change agent. Uh, maybe we can have 0078, things like that for learning design. <laughs> um, because I think you're right, though. It's not only going to be online courses that technology impacts and leverages, leverages learning, right? So it's going to be those um, traditional courses that use technology to augment and create artifacts and learning experiences. We have those blended experiences. Uh, we have, you know, just services that are thinking about online learning, although they're not in a teaching learning quote unquote classroom, they're going to have to think about educating um, learners in different ways and supporting them in different ways. So uh, I look forward to you listing the next uh, bond. We're going to call them uh, Whitney's angels. Is that <laughs> 
I actually think there's a new Charlie's Angels that's already coming out. I just saw <laughs> a trailer for it. <laughs> I don't know that I mess with something that's so perfect. I know, I know. Well, you are you are the chief academic officers. We'll have to come up with something. So whatever you want to call your your agents, then think on that. Okay. One. Um, yeah. what is something that uh, you're thinking about either now or in the future that you kind of hope to work on? It could be in this like your domain of work or just something that you're just questioning these days that you're like, I'd like to know more about this and maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. So I've got kind of two big things that are on my mind right now. Um, we, as a part of the empirical educator project are partnering up with Educause to do some research on, um, on learning and the open Simon toolkit is what we'll likely leverage in order to help us harness that data. Um, we're still finalizing the research plan and, and what that's going to look like, but uh, we think there's an opportunity to really take a look at the difference between what you consume or learn online versus what you apply in context. So um, as you may know, the Educause Institutes have traditionally been face-to-face, and iDesign has partnered with Educause to move those into an online format. And so we should be able to do all this research using those online institutes or programs, we're calling them now, as the, um, the data collection point uh, so that we can, we can really track this. And so that's a very exciting project. We're still in those early stages of, of figuring out. So a lot of you know, cognitive load is given up for that. And then the other thing that I'm thinking about a lot is, um, you may know Tanya Spillaboy. Uh, she's at, yeah, she's at WCET. Um, she and I and a handful of others have come together and talked about women in online programs and how we can better retain women um, and specifically moms. So um, it's very hard as a mother of four <laughs> who uh, just completed a PhD, what, three years ago, almost four years ago, um, to go back to school and to continue going back to school. Um, I was a mom in my undergrad. So this notion of what can we do as women who have survived going back to school and back to school and back to school, how can we help others, uh, whether it's with um, motivation, support, community? I don't know what it is yet, but I'm thinking about it a lot. And we've got a panel at WCET where we hope to elicit some ideas from others who are interested in the topic. I think two things. Both of those are great. First, um, in talking about your recent pan, the panel that you're going to talk about WCT, uh, this this podcast might come episode might come out later, so I'll definitely put your contact information for others to reach out. But I'm going to reach back to an old episode um, we met with uh, education developer Carol Hernandez, and she said um, essentially more than 50% of the online learners are women, like you said, and a growing number of them are Hispanic. So she, I think she'd be a person to connect with as well. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think you're right. Like, there are some burdens of um, uh, women that take on whether they're children or they're dealing with elder care. They have other responsibilities that you have to balance. How do you balance yourself and family in those ways? So, sure, and even just trying to take care of a husband, really. <laughs> Sometimes, like a child, yeah. any any spouse, <laughs> any spouse could be it. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's. It's true. I have friends with um, husbands and wives that they need help with. Um, but no, I was the thing that got me thinking about um, what you're hoping to tackle. And there's a 
podcast, or sorry, not podcast, there was a webinar that you participated in not long ago, I believe it's back in September, that you had a conversation with um, the same panel, and we touched on some issues, and I was listening and watching it, because I was kind of working on something else, but I was listening to the conversations that um, I expected to hear some tears, and I did not, because it's hard <laughs> to be a mom and go to school. That's some tough work out there. Um, yeah, so I... I I really struggled with um, being vulnerable and being, I, I, I wasn't able in that space, knowing there were many people joining sure. to open up and share some of the stories of how hard it really was. And I'm working on that. <laughs> I actually referred to that WCET webcast as my group therapy um, because I'm still working on being open about how hard it was for me to even just get across the finish line with my undergrad. And um, so I, I felt like I spent more time thinking about what I was going to say before I said it than just being genuine. In a smaller group, before we went on the webcast, we were talking about our lives. And I went down the rabbit hole and told stories, and, and several of us actually cried, I think. Uh, we couldn't see each other. We were just on a – we had all dialed in on Zoom. We weren't showing faces. Um, but, um, yeah, it's – it's so hard. It's not easy. This summer, um, I have a mentor who was with me my last class of my undergrad, who was with me during the hardest, one of the hardest, there were a couple um, times in my journey. And she's still with me. She's actually going to be here at my house for dinner and go to see Chloe at her football game next weekend. Um, but she's still a part of my life. And um, she she just keynoted the Educause Institutes this summer <laughs> for us, and she told me that they were opening a food bank at the university, and she was very excited about this, and uh, how could that have helped me when I was in my undergrad? And I said, well, gosh, I wouldn't have gone. I, I was too proud. It's run by students. I I'm, I'm too proud as a human, which is part of my flaws as a human, um, I, I couldn't go and take food from, st from other students at a food bank to feed my child. I, that, that's not how I was raised. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it other than that. So um, I said that might work for some people, but there are people like me that will struggle with that. I, I, you know, I was on food stamps and I didn't mind using the Lone Star card because it looked like a credit card. So it was less um, visible to people around me, but I still struggled with handing it to the cashier. I mean, I, I don't know if I can explain how hard of a time that was without getting into too much more detail. I'm still, like I said, struggling with my authentic self, <laughs> but, um, but I want to try to find ways to help people that struggled like I did. And I don't know where they are or how to find them. Well, it's probably because they're, they are strong individuals and they don't want to lose that, I guess, um, self-preservation so we shield sometimes when we don't want to like and I, I do this too you, we put up like invisible walls only we could see or you can present a certain self but I wonder and I started thinking about that more as we know working on campuses that a lot of our students struggle financially like it's expensive mm -hmm. um, they're almost all full-time equivalents maybe not in a a great position, but do, working, um, they're dealing with some sort of family stuff, whether it's their own children, they're supporting a family, their first generation in a family, first generation in the country. Um, 
and we have these pockets for support, whether it's a food handout or in, even in our, the college that you and I grew up with has now like a pantry where people can get from feminine products to food to like things that, that might need them, school supplies. Um, but it's the, I guess, visible self. Like we, we don't often want to let people see or know because then there's like a judgment that comes with that. And yeah, and maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's shame. You know, I'm thinking back to watching the Netflix special that um, Bryn Brown did or Brené Brown. I can't remember how, how to pronounce it, but, um, but she, she's fabulous. And she really, she really hit on some spots for me. I think I need to do some more reading of her work and, and focus on that, that vulnerability space for myself. So that's, that's on my to-do list. Well, I'm encouraging people to give zero fucks what other people think these days. So um, I would, I, and I've actually, I, I sent my mom zero foxes mug uh, because I think we worry too much about what other people think instead of um, tending to our own needs. And I, I do this too. And you're right. It's a work in progress. Um, and that's why I'm glad you are a human. Uh, point of information, Whitney's a human, not a robot. This Amen. <laughs> Yes. Um, but so I, I do think, hey, we're all kind of working on it and working on ourselves. So don't feel bad. The second thing you brought up, I think it's really cool. Um, hey, when will professional conferences actually that work in the online space go more online? Thank you for helping. Um, it's the Educause Learning Institute formally go online because some of us can't always travel or don't want to travel or want to spend less money on travel for professional development. So, but I'd love to join it in an online venue. So I'm excited to hear about that and how those go and how does someone access them? And yeah. Yeah. I think there'll be some announcements coming out uh, in the coming months and uh, first Institute uh, launches in 2020. So, you know, be checking the website and and watch your email. I'm sure there'll be announcements as, as they're getting ready. Cool. We'll put a link to, Educause has been mentioned before on this podcast, but we'll put a link to maybe their conference and professional development areas. I think that's great. Um, so you, and the other thing you said was, I think we've talked a bit on the pod is, is mentorship and you've had a sustained mentor for a long time that's been in your corner and kind of supported you or brought you up. Um, so going back to that, are, are there ways that you, you reach out yourselves now and kind of, I guess, baton it back to other people to bring them up and bring them forward? I try. I have a handful of folks that I, I spend time with. Um, some, some folks that I've reached out to and asked if I can connect with regularly and, and lean on them for advice and counsel from time to time. So I think of a couple of people as mentors um, beyond Dr. Canales, who, uh, by the way, only taught me the one course in undergrad, but was there to hood me at my master's and my doctorate. Um, I'm very grateful for Dr. Warren for letting that happen. Um, But uh, when I think of the others that I can reach out to and assist along the journey, I've had folks come to me and like actually ask, will you be my mentor? And I don't think I've ever said no. Um, (laughs) I really don't. And then there are other people that um, they cross your path and you just feel, you know, that they are at a, a difficult point in their lives and, and you just want to give up your time and your energy and, and help them through whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I, I, I won't call out anybody specifically, right? But I certainly have enjoyed that opportunity to help others. Cool. I think that's important to do. So 
Thanks for sharing that. Um, well, I would be apropos if we didn't talk about two things that this podcast is focused on, uh, stories and wine. So we could talk about either now, but um, maybe we'll start with uh, a wine So if uh, or a beverage. If there is maybe a gathering of sorts, friends, family, colleagues that you can get together in person, um, is there a certain wine or beverage of choice that you like as your go-to? Um, so wine with dinner for me is usually a Pinot Noir, either from Willamette Valley or from the South Island of New Zealand. They're both the same distance from the equator. So the grapes are treated equally fabulously. I like um, that you're giving us facts as well. This is helpful. I did not know. Okay, <laughs> that's good to know. My sister actually lives in New Zealand and had a winery there um, on the North Island, just north of Wellington for a little whoa, while. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who just drops that in now? Like, What? What was, her <laughs> what, was, what was her winery? This is amazing. And, and she doesn't have it anymore? What? I uh, know. So now she has a 30-acre farm and horses, but she's, um, she's really cool. So Sweet. anyhow, she taught me that. I really didn't know anything. Um, but we recently moved this summer. And so for drinks by the pool, uh, a friend of mine, Mary, who has a daughter in the color guard here at Flowerman High School, said, you have to try the Cayman Jack Margarita. It's like a little wine coolery thing in a short mm -hmm. bottle it is the bomb poolside just say it sweet wait a second you have a pool i'm coming over your house now we need to bring yeah, this distance together <laughs> yes okay good um and i'll have some questions about wellington off air and then shortly as well okay so um let's talk about books you might be reading. Uh, so I usually ask um, guests to share a story. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a book. It could be a podcast, a TV show, a series, a documentary, movie, um, something you heard, anything kind of resonating with you lately that you think others should check out? Um, okay, let's see. It's a good question. I think of Dr. Seuss's The Sneetches a lot because <laughs> I work in online education, right? And I taught first grade. So in my past life, I was a first grade teacher before I got into designing online programs. And so Dr. Seuss is my friend. Um, not in real life. But uh, the Sneetches reminds me that, you know, a diploma is much like the stars on the belly, right? And, and everybody wants a diploma. But now we're at this weird phase where are diplomas really valid? Do I need another star on my belly or do I need the stars removed because I went to a for-profit university and I don't necessarily want that on there anymore, right? There's so much shift and change in higher education anymore that I kind of think of the Sneetches a lot, which old book, but worth a, a quick read if you haven't seen it in a while. And then I did just get a copy of um, Michael Horn's Choosing College when I was at the Hailstorm meeting up at Southern New Hampshire. And it's timely for me because um, my daughter, uh, you may know, Bailey moved to New York City. She's been up there since, oh, April, May timeframe. And she's finishing up her associates at NCTC here while she's there, right? So she's finishing that online. She'll come home in December and graduate. And then she has to figure out what the next adventure is for her. And better she hear it from Michael Horn than from her mother. So I'm giving her that book as a gift. <laughs> that she could be thinking about what's next. It's like anything, your family, your staff, your uh, whatever your organization, like you could tell them something, but they won't listen. But if you have because someone you else tell them. you can't be a profit in your own land. Right, exactly. So I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah, I, it's funny that you mentioned the Sneetches and like the books that I've been reading, like I have like in my cart that I have to pick up from the library is The End of College by Kevin Carey. I was like, I'm asking the same question of like, 
what's the future, inventing the future, like what's the future of work going to be? Things are, times are changing, as they say. Yeah, and I did just buy, I haven't read it yet, but I did just buy while I was at Hailstorm. It met me at the front door when I got here. Thanks, Amazon. Um, the Intentional University, by the, written by the folks at the Minerva. Oh, okay. Project. So that one I heard from folks there, it's worth checking out. So, um, but I haven't even cracked it. I'll be real, real honest with you. Hey, that's okay. We always like recommendations that you know of as well. So I will take that and add that to our listen for our listeners. Before we wrap up, um, one other question I'd like to ask listeners is, what's bringing you joy these days? So what's making you smile uh, that you could share with our listeners? Let's see. I've probably already bragged on my awesome kids. We talked about Bailey a lot. Um, Chloe's in the Color Guard and the Flower Man Band won Bands of America last year, so we have high expectations for this year. Uh, Color Guard is the one with the flags, correct? Right. Flags, rifles, and sabers. Oh, my. Okay. Thank you. For some of us are new to Friday Night Lights in Texas. Uh, Yeah. But any listener might want to know what that is, too. So There you go. Um, But I think the the big change for us um, has been – a big transition. We've we've moved from being cat people to being dog people Welcome. over the course of the last year, <laughs> and um, it, there is no joy like a puppy in your face with the dog breath, and they're so adorable. So I am I'm really loving being a dog parent, if that's a thing. It is, and um, yeah, great joy. You have two. We do. So we adopted Lola from a shelter last summer in the middle of redoing floors, right? So our living room looked like a bomb had gone off and we wandered over to the shelter and adopted this sweet little pet. And she had had a shattered hip. So um, really awful life. Like she, anytime my husband reaches down to pet her, she pees. I mean, she's been abused, obviously. You can tell by the way she shakes and cowers down. And then, you know, if that wasn't enough, (laughs) <laughs> when Bailey moved to New York, I took the last cat. We had two cats. One had passed away. But I took Tink to go live with Bailey in New York so she wouldn't be alone. And when I came back, uh, we found a little corgi. And so we drove all the way up to Honey Grove, Texas, and adopted this little corgi from truly from a farm um, and, uh, and brought her back home. And so that's our, our new baby that we've only had for about three months. I think that's fantastic. Um, I think Dogs do bring you joy. I love cats too. So listeners, I'm not biased, but dogs you can bring out and sometimes they bring other people joy when you bring them places and do things with them. So yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, Whitney, I could keep talking to you about a bunch of things, but I'm going to let you go and thank you so much for your time and having a conversation with us. Our InVinoFab podcast listeners will find all the great things we talked about in some show notes and links of where to connect with you. Um, and please, you're welcome to come back anytime if you want to talk about something. Have Sounds a chat. good, Laura. And if you ever want to go swim, just come on over. I, no. I'll have a Cayman Jack margarita waiting for you by the pool. <laughs> I've, got t- I've got nothing but time for that. So <laughs> I am coming over. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, until next time. Cheers. Take care. Thank you. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to In Vino Fab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.